Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited for you to hear episode number 72 of our podcast. You're going to hear from Coach Jason Bochtel. He's currently the quarterback coach, offensive coordinator at East Texas Baptist University of Marshall, Texas. He's married, four kids, just an incredible man of God, high character, loves the Lord, passion. So I cannot wait for you to hear from him. I met him almost a year ago and just excited um, that he is setting aside a little bit of time today to, to share his story and get a glimpse into his heart and who he is and, and his passion for, for Christ and, and making Christ known. So without further delay, let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach Bochtel. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're excited to get after it and give you a little bit of our testimony. You bet. So I always like to start these off with a little bit of background information, just kind of let the listeners know who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself and where you grew up, your family growing up, and a little bit about your family today. Yeah, so um, I'm a product of a coach's kid. Um, been in his coaching family for a long time. My dad was a, you know, a longtime head football coach. Um, he started out and, um, you know, he actually started out at Howard Payne and um, then began with Gordon Wood out of Brownwood High School. Um, worked with some guys that were great, you know, guys that in the um, coaching profession, Randy Allen, who's now at Highland Park, and Sam Harrell, who's over at Ennis. And um, so he's he's been a part of the coaching family for a little while. And then my freshman year in high school, um, he was let go as the head football coach. And then um, we moved out to Wills Point um, here in, in the East Texas area. And um, so I graduated high school from Wills Point, Texas, and I call that home now. Um, and then, you know, so I went off to college, um, went back to Howard Payne and Brownwood and, um, met my wife there and, uh, we've been married for 18 years coming up in this June and we have four, four kids. We've got a, um, 21 year old son who plays basketball at Howard Payne. Um, we've got a 15 year old daughter. Um, we've got a 14 year old daughter and our 15 year old is about to turn 16 so she's about to hit the driving age, and then we got wow. a you know fourteen year old, and then we've got a um, here in a few days we're going to have a nine month old daughter, and so we range from twenty one to nine months old, and so it's cool. it's quite the wide range of kids, but we're having a blast doing it. That's awesome! I can't imagine uh, balancing that. I guess you got some good babysitters though. Yeah, we we do. Um, we've got some you know a few girls that you know, hit and miss, they like it. And sometimes they don't. So. That's true. Let me ask you about your faith. Did you grow up? You talked about your, your family, about did you grew up in a family of faith. And then at what point did you decide that, you know, I need a personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah. So we, um, my mom and dad, you know, when they met in high school, uh, my mom probably, um, caused my dad to go to church a little more often than he wanted to. And, um, mm-hmm. but he was, he was one of those that, um, like he's, he's who I would call a, a modern day Job. And so, yeah, we grew up in the faith and in the church. And, um, you know, you hear the old adage that whenever the church doors were open, we were there. Well, I mean, that, that was true with us. Um, we were going to be there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If there was a revival, we were going to be at the revival. I mean, we were there. And so, we grew up around it. Um, you know, as far as my personal relationship with Christ, there's a lot of time, there's a lot of dates I don't remember, but I can tell you 
It was May 1st, 1894. Um, I was sitting in church. We had just come off of like a D now. Um, and, you know, you had that overwhelming call and draw. Of, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I knew. It, it, and it wasn't one of those deals like I was questioning what it was like you knew that this was Jesus calling wanted in my heart and I accepted. And so it was May 1st, 1994. I was, I was a freshman in high school. And, um, so yeah, since then can't say it's always been the high road. I mean, it's, a, it's been a struggle. It, you know, at times it's the roller coaster, but yeah, 1994. That's awesome. So, um, let's talk a little bit about sports now that we'll get back to faith in a moment. I mentioned in the intro that you're currently, a quarterback coach, offense coordinator at East Texas Baptist. So at what point did you decide to pursue that um, career in coaching and where did that journey start? You know, um, so again, I grew up a coach's kid and, um, mm-hmm. you know, you always want to, you always kind of want to follow in your father's footsteps. I also had an uncle who was um, head football coach and athletic director out at Waco Midway um, there in Hewitt, Texas. And um, I wanted to be like those guys. And so I always kind of knew that that's what, what my goal was to be. Um, and then I played football out at Howard Payne. And um, my sophomore year, we went out to Wisconsin Whitewater, um, ha- was having a career first half and ended up tearing up my shoulder, um, played quarterback there. And, um, and so ended my season then, you know, came back the next year and, um, Somehow I tore my shoulder up again. I, you know, it wasn't a hit. It wasn't a sack. I don't know. It just something didn't end up meshing right. It didn't go back like it was supposed to. And at that point, I'd already been married. Um, I married my wife at the age of 21, and um, she pretty much put down the law and said, look, you're going to choose football or you're going to choose me. And, um, mm. you, know, you know, and the doctor pretty much had told us, if you ever want to lift your kids up or you ever want to play with your kids and – Football is time. It's it's time to move on, and so at that point, our head coach there at Howard Payne was Vance Gibson, and he he brought me in and said, "Look, you want to be a part of the program? I know that you still have a year." So he brought me on as a student coach, and um, he gave me the running back position. So I was the running back coach, and it was a great experience to get to learn, you know, football from a the different side of the table. Now you you weren't the player; you were the coach, and um, so gave me my own position. And from there, I left, hired Payne and went to Gatesville. Um, stayed in Gatesville, Texas for four years. Um, our head coach ended up resigning, and I had the opportunity to stay. But at the point, I loved our head coach. And, um, I, you know, I just felt like when he left, I, I needed to leave too. And um, so I went down to Galena Park, Texas, and southeast Houston for three years. And um, – had a great time down there and then went to um, Scurry Rosser where I spent seven years. Um, I was there um, as the AD head football coach there. And then um, I had the privilege to go work at North Forney High School yeah. um, for a year. And honest to goodness, if it wasn't for those kids and, and what we did on the offensive side of things, um, in 2017 at, at North Forney, I wouldn't be here at East Texas Baptist, but we kind of we kind of lit it up. Our kids bought into our program, bought into what we wanted to do offensively, and um, here I am today. And so 
our head coach here at East Texas Baptist is Brian Maper, and he and I, um, he and I crossed paths there at Howard Payne. He was he was an assistant coach there at Howard Payne. Um, okay. So so I had a relationship with him from that aspect, and then you know we just brought on our head coach from Howard Payne, Vance Gibson's now our secondary coach. So you know our family here is um, you know we're involved with some guys that we've known, and um, so it made a really good easy transition out here to to Marshall and East Texas Baptist. So what's been the biggest transition or challenge maybe transitioning from coaching high school to college? You know, I think the biggest thing is um, one is the speed of the game. Mm. Um, you know, but football is football. We, we try to tell our kids the same thing that it doesn't matter whether or not you're in middle school, high school, um, college or professional football is going to be football as far as the X's and O's standpoint. Um I've spent the last 15 years at the high school level. And um, the biggest thing that I had to get used to was at the division three level here, we don't get our guys one-on-one in off season workouts um, like we did at the high school level. Um, So here at the division three level, what happens is come the end of the season, they're pretty much a student and um, everything that they do is voluntary. And, um, so, you know, we get 16 days in the spring where, where we can actually have controlled practices without pads and, and we get to work with them one-on-one, but that's 16 days. And, um, so that's been a big adjustment for me. Um, the other thing is, you know, you always hear some horror stories about recruiting and, and we hadn't had those horror stories, but the recruiting aspect of it, of getting out and, and being away from the family has been one of the biggest adjustments, probably for my wife and kids more so than it for me, but, um, shoot, they might, they might like me being gone better than me being a child. <laughs> I don't know. So. Yeah. How does the recruiting work in division three? Is it, um, cause I know there's not the same scholarships, obviously as division one. So how, how, how does that work? Yeah. So uh, at our level, everything's based off of academic money. Okay. And so now we, we still recruit a kid just like they do. At the Division One, Division Two level, um, we are currently already in the process of contacting kids for our 2020 class, and so it's a year-long process, just like it is anywhere else in, in the NCAA. Um, but the problem is, or you know, one of the issues that we have to fight is um, we might identify a kid that we really, really liked, and um, after their senior year, a Division One, Division Two school may identify them as well and we're trying to compete against those bigger schools that might have not only academic money but they may also have athletic money and um so you know there's times where we get some kids that we're targeting early but there's other times where you just know that we've identified done a good job identifying those kids and and you may not get them and um and we're we're one of the staffs that will tell them hey you need to take the what's best for you you know um, financially, academically, spiritually, whatever it may be. And we wish those kids the best of luck. Yeah, absolutely. So. So is there an athlete or two that you've coached that uh, stands out to you uh, just from a pure athletic standpoint? Yeah. You know, I um, my first year at Galena Park, um, I had the privilege to coach a kid named John McGaffey. And um, John was a um, kid that was probably an undersized kid. 
Um, but he had a ton of athletic ability. And at the time, I, my first spring there, I'd, I'd kind of come on at the end of uh, the school year in 2007. And I finished spring ball with those guys, coaching John. He was our quarterback. And um, what I, I'd never been anywhere where the amount of recruiting had been going on. Hmm. And, and he was he was a high profile athlete in the Houston area at the time. And, um, you'd see somebody new come in every day. I mean, Texas tech was there. Missouri was there. You know, you name any of the big 12 schools, they were there and they were recruiting him as a, as a receiver. And, um, at the time, Missouri was still in the big 12. And, um, so he ended up choosing Missouri and he's, you know, he's probably most famous for, you know, around the 2010, I couldn't tell you the for sure year, but he, um, Oklahoma went into Missouri and um, was ranked number one in the nation. And he returned the opening kickoff against him and kind of knocked. That's the year that Missouri um, oh. knocked off Oklahoma and it kind of started from there. So it's a big deal. You know, that was a fun deal. You know, just overall, we, we've had so many athletes that, you know, they may not get the division one offers or the division two offers. we got another kid that, um, that I coached there at Scurry Rosser. His name's Peyton Snell and um, signed, you know, with Stephen F. Austin, good quarterback. Um, but just overall, he's just a great human being. You know, we got those kids everywhere. Um, that's, that's one thing that I've always been fortunate of is that we've had great kids. And, um, and so, but those are two that athletically are probably two of the more athletic kids that I've coached Yeah, um, just from a general athletic standpoint. What about an athlete maybe that you've seen God use you in their life? You know, um, here's good, honest goodness truth is um, you probably see it more as a position coach than you do as a head coach. But um, when I was at, at Scurry Roster, and I go back to there because I was there the longest in my coaching career, um, had a kid that he's actually here with us now at East Texas Baptist. So I won't give his name. Um, but he, um, he was always one of those kids that we had identified as a kid that could do something special. Mm. And, um, he had kind of, you know, lived in a, um, rough part of the town. Um, but he's a great kid, humble kid. And, um, shoot, he's just one of those kids that always, always wanted to be around didn't want to always want to play football and so we just you know kept mentoring him and um, he came around and in 2013 he was one of our best football players on on one of the school's um, best football teams and um, you know he got out and went to college played a couple of years and um, ended up leaving the school that he was at and um got off with some, some former high school friends and, um, wasn't making the right decisions, wasn't always, you know, making the best decisions and, um, had gotten into a situation where he probably was not going to be allowed to go back to the school because of his grades. Mm. And, um, when I got this job out here, um, I don't even remember, we just got into a conversation and it was just he and I, and, and we were on the phone and, and I said, you know, what do you, um, what's your plan? What, like, 
what's your goal in life? He said, Coach, I want to graduate from college. I want to coach. I want to get out of the town that I'm in. And, and I said, then how are you going to do that? And he, he said, Coach, I don't know. And um, I said, well, I'm, I'm telling you, you need to come out here to East Texas Baptist. You need to come to Marshall. I said, no, listen, you're going to be on academic probation the first semester that you get here, so you won't be able to play for us. Um, but we're going to get your grades right. We're going to make sure that you get off on the right foot, and we're going to get you squared away. And, um, and he's been doing great since. He joined us in the spring, and he's ready to rock and roll. And, and so I, that's one kid that I can tell you. Um, you know, there's several that will call you and coach. I don't have food. Can you can you buy me some food? Yeah, come on. What do you need? You know, go buy them hundred hundred fifty dollars worth of groceries just so they got food. Um, you know, car trouble, need rides. You know, so there's I just, there's not just one. You know, there's in this business. I think if you don't have kids that that are um, that are looking for you, then you got to re you got to reexamine what it is that you're, you're providing for that kid. Because if, if you're not in it to serve them, um, man, it's, it's not the profession for you. In my opinion, I, you know, this is, this is a servanthood um, profession and, um, and the kids and the, and the parents that, that we get to coach, those are the guys that we've got to serve. That's good. Very good. I like that. I like that coaching is servanthood. I wrote that down. That's awesome. So what would you say maybe, Looking back, I mean, you've talked a lot about your career. What would you say would be like your greatest accomplishment or greatest memory? Um, you know, probably one of the greatest things that I can tell you that, that I'm most excited about is that um, we, when I took the job at Scurry Rosser, um, I was told I was going into an area that um, was not very good in football. I think when I when I got there, the overall winning percentage of the school was like 38 or 39 percent in school's history. And I just remember people telling me that you'll never win there. You're going to you're going to ruin your career. And um, and I said, well, I, you know, that may be true, but I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. And um, I just remember going in with the, the mindset that we were going to hire quality people. We were going to do it the right way. Um, we were going to give God the glory in the good things and we were going to give God the glory in the bad things. Amen. And, uh, and you know, I, my first year as a head coach, we went three and seven and my brother's a preacher, starts his own church out in Will's Point, And he, he just starts laughing at me. He said, you know, you may be one of the only guys that prays for your opponent and they end up beating you. And, and we weren't, we weren't real good. Um, but we just saw the program start turning over and we saw the things happening good in the boys side of the program, the girls side of the program. And then in 2013, we, um, we tied the school record with the most mile wins and as the winningest team in, in school history at 12 one. And, um, just seeing where those guys had come from never really winning to winning big and, um, seeing a community turn. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things, you know, I, just seeing how the community was on fire for those kids and supportive of those kids is probably one of the biggest things that I can tell you that I'm most excited about. That's awesome. Wow. Well, I mean, that's an incredible turnaround story. Yeah. What yeah. about kind of flip the coin a little bit? What would be greatest challenge or disappointment? Um, you know, <laughs> probably the same thing, knowing that you got a real talented team um, that was more talented than, than 
probably even that 2013 team um, and underachieving, um, probably being content and um, guys that off the field, they, they didn't work well together. And unfortunately on the field, it, it did the same thing. And, um, you know, it, it was just a turnover of complacency and content and, um, and it wasn't a brotherhood anymore. And so you, I, I saw that was probably one of the biggest challenges and biggest disappointments of guys that had been a part of a, something that was really special. And all of a sudden it, it wasn't fun for them anymore. It wasn't, that's not what they wanted to do. It was more of going back to some old ways and some, that was probably one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about your family, talked about, how the recruiting is year round. So how do you balance the demands of the career of a coach with being a husband and a dad? Yeah, this is something that, that I could go on for days on. And um, it's funny that you say you ask that because I tell our young coaches here on this staff and at, at East Texas Baptist, there are um, really four older guys on our staff, two on our offensive side and two on our defensive side. And most everybody else may range anywhere from the ages of 23 to 25, 26. And um, right now, currently most of our assistants are, are single, they're dating and um, a few are starting to get engaged, but that's one of the things that, that was probably hardest for me at their age. So again, I told you I was married at 21 and um, one of my first full-time jobs was at Gatesville. And um, my my mother tried to warn my wife of what a coach's wife's life was really about, how we would never be home. Um, and I think my wife going into it really believed that she knew fully what it was all about until that first year I was a, I was a junior high coach trying to make my way. And um, I remember about midway through September, I came home, Saturday night, late Sunday, late one of those. And, um, I just remember my wife had all of her stuff packed and she said, Hey, I'm, I'm going home. Mm. And I said, hold on now. Let's, let's talk about this. And at the time I had a, um, my five-year-old son and a probably about an eight month old daughter. And so I knew something had to change real quick. And so that's a big topic to me. Um, so when I became the head coach at Scurry Roster, my, my objective was that I was always going to give my coaches at least one day. And that, that day was Sunday. And one of the biggest things was because that's the Sabbath. Um, you know, Jesus talks about the Sabbath. God makes the Sabbath the holy day. Uh, one, because you need rest. And um, my belief was that I couldn't ask our coaches to coach and teach hard and never give them a break, never give them time to re-energize that battery. And um, so that was one of the biggest things that I, that I made a decision of being a head coach was that you got to give those guys time because I'd been there. Plus, I needed it. I needed time mm-hmm. with my family. Um, we spend so much as coaches with, with other kids' families, and we never – you know, there's a lot of times where coaches ne- neglect their own kids, not intentionally. It just happens. That's the nature of this business. It's the nature of the beast. And um, – so my wife, when I 
kind of made a rule just that when you're home, you're going to be home. And that means no cell phone. You're not going to take a phone call relating to business. Um, if it's a personal, you know, friend, that's fine, but it's, it's not going to be business related. And, and I've always, since then, I've really made that a priority. And so, um, you know, try to put the phone down. It doesn't always happen. I'm not always great at it. Um, but when I'm home, I want to be home. I'm not going to take work home. If that means I got to spend another hour, two hours here at the office to, to get whatever done, then I let my wife know, hey, I need another hour. I need another two hours. And um, But in turn, I get to spend time with my kids. I get to spend time with my wife when I'm at home and I'm not worried about watching 30 more minutes of film. I'm not worried about scripting an offensive script. I, I, don't, I don't have to worry about that. Um, and, and so that's one of the biggest things that I can tell you is I think all coaches need to understand that, um, when you're at home, you need to be at home and, and don't, don't worry that that script will be ready for you the next day. Uh, it'll still be waiting there. You'll have time. Now, if you got to wake up at four 30 or 5 AM, you got to do that. Um, I think you got to take care of your bodies. I think coaches have got to make sure they're taking care of their bodies the same mm. way that we ask our kids to, um, you know, I, I get up about five, five thirty every morning. I'm usually on our treadmill at about 6am. Um, you might have to wake up early and that's okay. But when you're at home, you need to be at home. Very good. Um, a question about the role of sports. Um, no secret that culture is very divided right now. Yeah. But sports seems to be one of the few ways that, at least temporarily, can tear down some walls, whether it's racial, political, religious, whatever, socioeconomic status. So in your coaching career, how have you seen sports kind of be that bridge to where you have – I mean, a locker room is very diverse, and not everybody agrees with each other. So how does that – have you seen that kind of bridge that gap, tear down some walls? Um. I, I think you hit on something that you said it's no secret that it breaks down those walls. I think it's no secret that you can walk into a, to a locker room and you can see every race, every color, um, every religion in a locker room, and they're all working together as one. Um, you know, I think that's where a lot of um, things can change. I think that's where a lot of our culture can change. And, um, you know, it, it goes hand in hand with working as a team, you, you know, Man, that's a tough question, and um, but I think that it's just one of those deals where if you're truly bought into the vision of what your locker room stands for and what your team stands for and everything, you don't see skin. Mm. You don't see race. You don't see religion. Um, you know, that I man, that's – I don't know if I answered that fully, but – I just think that if if your culture of your team and your vision of the team is is headed in the right direction by the guys at the top, and that's your coaches, um, you don't see all that. No, I agree. No, I think you did. That's, that's a very good answer. And I think personally, it's a good example and picture of what the church should look like, right? I mean, we all have, you know, as a church, we big C – we should be after one vision, one goal. And that's, you know, worshiping Christ, making him known. 
You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't have all these dividing factors. That's why I just think a locker room is a great example for anybody outside of sports of what culture should be like, not just in sports. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So let me ask you um, to offer a student athlete or a coach some advice. Um, it's not the easiest time, especially in the public school setting, to, to be bold in your faith um, for some. So how would you encourage a student athlete or a coach that says, you know what, I am a follower of Christ, but I want to better use the platform of athletics to point people to Jesus? You know, I, I may be I may be a bad one to ask in that in that regards, and I'll tell you, um, I work for an institution that um, that's our mission, right? And um, but you know, I think one of the things that we try to stress to our kids and our kids here, um, they're in an environment where um, it's highly encouraged, and they're surrounded by a bunch of individuals who are like minded. Um, so I think one of the biggest things I would tell people who are not in a situation like we are, you got to surround yourself with people who are like-minded. You got to surround yourself with a community of believers and, um, a group of, of people. Maybe it, it may be a mentor. It may be a um, fellow player that, you know, um, is in the same struggle as you are. Um, where two or more are together, God's there with you. And, um, you know, I think whenever you have a community of people who are, are on the same page, it's so much easier to go out and, and proclaim the message to, um, push any, you know, again, it goes back to what you just said. You think about in our community, in our, in our culture now, the people who have the the biggest say and the biggest voice are people who are like-minded and have people who follow them. And, um, and I think you got to surround yourself with people like that. I think you also got to be, um, I think you got to be delving into the word. Um, you have to make sure that you are in the Bible, um, and you are trying to nourish yourself spiritually so that the Holy spirit will give you the courage and therefore, God will give you the words of what it is that you need to say. Um, you know, does it mean you won't face some persecution? No, you'll you'll face it. But but the Holy Spirit and, and God will give you what it is that you need to face. Um, you'll face that thing head on. And that all comes. I'm a firm believer of, of being uh, rooted into the Word. That's awesome. Speaking of being rooted in the Word, a lot of people have a life verse or a favorite verse. So I was going to ask you if there's a verse you'd share to encourage us or maybe one that God's shown you recently that she's used in your life. Um, you know, I, I believe Philippians 4.13 is one of the, is obviously from an athletic standpoint, um, one of the greatest that you'll ever see. I can do all things through the glory of Christ. You know, um, that's one that, that everybody will tell you. Um, you know, Jeremiah 29.11 is another one that, that's so widely scripted that, you know, I know the plans that I have for you, you know, to prosper you, um, not to harm you. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that, that, that I get from that verse is, um, and you can see it through all the prophets, you know, including, um, Paul, so many people, I think, take that and they believe that they're going to be prosperous here on, on earth. 
and um, they're, they're never going to go through bad times. And, and I don't believe that. I do believe that if you fulfill his, his goal for you here on the earth, that you will be fulfilled in heaven and that you will live a prosperous eternity. And um, those are the ones that come to me right now, you know, um, but Jeremiah 29, 11, just in the fact that you gotta, you gotta keep going. You gotta keep going every day. You're going to face the persecution, but that's okay. Um, you know that you're going to win in the end. That's good. Yeah. I like that because yeah, you're right. I've heard that verse used a lot to justify that. Oh, God won't harm you or you're going to be rich or you're not going to face bad times. But yeah, that word prosper there definitely doesn't mean that we're all going to be millionaires and, you know, well, you know singing and dancing about, all the time. And, and that's what, that's what I, I think the biggest thing, and I'm, I may be getting off t- topic, but the, the 12 disciples, um, obviously Ju- Judas uh, committed suicide. The others were martyred. The only one that survived the martyrdom was, was John. He was exiled to Patmos, you know? And so you tell me they didn't per- face some persecution. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, persecution is what helped spread the church. That's what spread it up across the, the land. Um, that's, that's why you have it in all the different regions. If it stayed in that one little area and they were never persecuted, can you imagine? They would have had one good holy huddle, but it would have been them. They never would have spread out. It never would have spread. So I think you're going to face the persecution. Paul, I mean, who was once Saul was the greatest persecutor and then he became the persecuted, you know? So you're going to be persecuted for this. Um, you can see it right now. You all the different religions of the world, you're going to be persecuted as a Christian. And um, you're going to be told that you're wrong, that you're believing in something that you can't see. Um, but in the end, he's, he does have plans not to harm you, but it, it, it's going to be in your eternity. Hey Amen. That's, that's good. I like that. I like that persecution spreads the church. That, that's a good reminder, too, um, that... If we're truly a follower of Christ, we are going to face persecution at some point at different levels. Not everybody has faced the same level, but but to keep the right mindset that it's okay. Sure. That's good. Last question. Um, You hear the term all in all over sports. No secret what it means. Um, We use that a lot. We do outreach camps, but we – we use it from the standpoint of, uh, I'll paraphrase Colossians three seventeen, but Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we tell kids all the time, you know, if you're going to follow Christ, and Jesus said it multiple times, you need to be all in. You know, you need to deny yourself and follow him. So what does that mean for you, Jason, in your everyday walk with Christ? What does it mean for you to be all in? Um, what does think, it look like? Yeah, I you know, um, I would think if you were to go through my life, you'd see that it means different things at different times in my life. Um, you know, obviously to sit here and, and make you believe that I'm a great Christian, I can't do. Um, I, I fail daily. Um, I sin daily. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that you have to admit your sins. You got to um, repent of those sins. You got to be in a daily conversation with God. Um, do I always do that? No, I, I'm like I, I'm a hypocrite, and um, 
But I think the biggest thing is that um, when you have the opportunity to pro- profess your faith to others and you have a, a chance to um, claim everything that's good that's happened to you because of God, that you give God all the glory and honor, you know. Um, I like, guys, I wish you could see the view that I'm looking at right now. Like I'm looking over the the top of our football field and, and Stuart, you've been out here to our place and you've seen yeah. this place. And, and like, I'm looking out into a forest right now. Like I'm literally, as I'm speaking, looking out into a forest of pine trees and, and like giving God the glory for everything that I see right now is something that I believe you can be all in. Like, he made those trees. I'm looking at the birds flying in the air right now, you know, realizing what all he has created by his hand and, and giving him the honor and glory is, is being all in. I think, you know, just being in awe and in reverence of everything that he's done. Um, And, and again, I don't know that I've answered that question exactly right or fully, but, I think making sure that you you are mindful of what sins you you've committed and and you're repenting of those sins, uh, that you're in a daily conversation with God, that you're rooted into the Word, um, and that when you see the the workmanship and the craftsmanship of God's hands, that you give Him the honor and glory of it. No, that's very good. I like that. Um, yeah, very good. So before we close it out, I'm gonna give a little commercial for you. Um, you yeah. mentioned I've been out there a couple of times. If you, so any listeners, if you live in Texas, go out to East Texas this fall. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's great football. You'll be blown away. I know um, my boys enjoyed it. You know, you think, you know, we, we're used to going to Division One football games. You think, oh, we're going to a little small college. But we're hooked. It's a lot yeah. of fun. It's a lot of athletes. I mean, it's, it, it's the, amazing. You know, I, I grew up as a coach kid under the Friday night lights. And, um, when I first came out here, my, my daughter, um, she, she's a coach's kid. Like she's, she's the daughter from remember the Titans, the one that's always criticizing the coach for the call and getting on the, that's her. And, um, and she said, Hey, so Friday nights, what time do we play? And I said, Oh, (laughs) babe, we don't play Friday nights. We play on Saturdays. And she said, no more Friday night lights. Like, but the atmosphere out here is outrageous. We have great support from our student body, from our for community. We we got the best president and AD in our in our conference. Absolutely. Just telling you, um, and and they want they want to do what's right, but more importantly, they want to serve God and, and love love on our kids. That's awesome. Hey, I know it's a busy time for you, so I appreciate it. Thanks for making time to to come on and share your story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to have you. Glad you had me out here. Well, thanks again to Coach Bachtel for taking time to share his story. I hope you were as encouraged as I am by by him. Um, if you're a coach out there, one of the best nuggets I, I wrote down was just that coaching is servanthood. And that's not just for coaches. That's for all of us. That's what Jesus calls us to do. I mean, even Jesus came, the Bible says. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And what an incredible example. So just... That's one of the, the, the notes as I sit here and look through all the notes was um, that just to be a servant 
and to give God the glory in both the good and the bad. It's easy for us to praise God and to, to give God glory when things are going our way. We get a job, we get a promotion, we get a big win, we have some success. But, but do we really do that when we're going through a tough time? And that's a challenge. But that's what he challenged us with. That's what um, he lives out. Um, and one more thing I, I wrote down in, in, in the notes that is just a, just a reminder is that we just need to surround ourselves with like-minded people, our close circle. We don't need to live in this bubble with people that only look like us, think like us, act like us. But our close circle is people that are like-minded, that can hold us accountable, that can encourage us that as iron sharpens iron, um, we, we sharpen one another. Just to be all in. Again, it's, it's daily. It's daily. And, and it's just it's giving God the glory of the good, giving God the glory in the bad. If you were encouraged by this, I would ask you to do two things. Share it with a family member or friend. And then go to iTunes and leave us a review because the more reviews we get, the greater the platform we have to continue shining the light of Jesus and sharing the gospel through media. And if you're not a subscriber... If you're a first-time listener or you only listen to just a couple of them, if you just kindly just click that subscribe button, you'll get access to all of our previous episodes, and then you'll never have to download another one. They'll just show up whenever we release them. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your support. And the last thing we're going to ask you is that you go to our Facebook page, All In Sports Outreach, or our website, www allinsportsoutreach.org. You can find out who we are, what we do, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray for us, opportunities to serve with us, and opportunities to give. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your encouragement and support.